Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week six is in the books. We were both uh, traveling and kind of uh, a little bit disconnected. And buddy, it was not a good weekend for that. These games were kind of crazy. They were crazy. And, you know, we asked a question in the college football business. Are you hurt or are you injured? Joey? I am playing hurt. I am never, <laughs> ever drinking again. At least for a few this, days. Until like, at least until like Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you uh, you were there in full effect for the Notre Dame-Virginia Tech game in Blacksburg. Um, I actually was in Chattanooga, Tennessee this weekend for a wedding of some college friends. And uh, just, you know, the way that it works out, like it's it's really tough to uh, to watch every second of every game, as we've said before. So... Um, we have done our very best to try to get educated on these games and get caught up to the degree that we can, but please be patient. We'll start with that. Um, if, yes. there are, if there are please injuries or moments that we missed here, um, I, we apologize. That is not the intent here at all, but uh, life happens and you know sometimes you don't catch everything. Yes, and before we get started, while we're handling podcast business here at the front, happy birthday, Scott. Hey, Number one podcast, Stan, and your brother-in-law, Scott. Happy birthday, My brother-in-law, bro. Scott. You guys, yeah, if you guys have been listening to us long enough, you know that I bring up Scott numerous times on this podcast. So, Overall give him a happy guy. birthday shout-out. Yes, exactly. So, um, <laughs> we will, <laughs> we will uh, by the time he hears this, it will no longer be his birthday, but we're recording on his birthday, so happy birthday to Scott. Hope you had a good weekend with me in Blacksburg, although the game did not go as intended, Joey, as we'll get into here momentarily. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, while, while we're all uh, enjoying ourselves and having a nice weekend, let's go ahead and just kick this off with your nice weekend. <laughs> Number 14, for Notre Dame, 32, Virginia Tech, 29. Uh, Mike, I'm just guessing not not your favorite hokey memory here with the way this game ended? I've had better. Yeah. A uh, bit of a rough, rough way to, to finish this game out for Virginia Tech. Uh, had a lead of eight points uh, with only a few minutes left. And then Notre Dame gets the ball, goes seven plays, 75 yards, scores a touchdown, gets a two-point conversion to tie it at 29. Virginia, Virginia Tech then promptly goes three and out and only burns 30 seconds despite only about two and a half minutes left in the game. Notre Dame gets the ball back and goes down and kicks a field goal with about 15 seconds left, and they win 32-29. Um, I mean, tough loss for Virginia Tech, but Mike, I, I just, I, again, I didn't get to watch this game under a microscope, but I get the impression, like, as much as it sucks losing, like, Virginia Tech and that team and that coaching staff redeemed themselves pretty well in this game, all things considered. I mean, they hung with Notre Dame all the way, um, and, and they really, they had themselves in position to win the game 
uh, maybe even more than some would have expected. Yeah. I mean, Vegas, you know, told us this was going to be a tight game. You and I talked about this in essentially coin flip fashion on the preview because we weren't necessarily sure how this game was going to go. I was thinking about it today, and and I realized if Notre Dame had been like a four-point favorite, I probably would have taken the Hokies. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the one thing that we locked up, of course, was the under, which uh, this game went over because the weather ended up being pretty good in Blacksburg. So, kind of unexpected there. You win some, you lose most Um, of them for me. Yeah, that's that's right. Me too. It turns out. So, (laughs) I thought that. uh, I thought that Virginia Tech acquainted themselves quite well in this game. You know, um, the Hokies score late first quarter. Raheem Blackshear had a touchdown run. John Parker Romo made a 19-yard field goal at the start of the second quarter. That was a very short field goal. Virginia Tech was inside the 10. Uh, they should have. I, I, they were inside the five actually. <laughs> going in trying to score, uh, couldn't score. They go and they settle for a field goal. Not a lot of fans loved that decision, but to those fans who were upset about that, I ask you, how has the red zone play calling been this year? Are you really sure we're going to convert on that fourth and goal? I'm not. Do you so, want to play Brad Cornelson roulette in the red zone? Yeah, ex- exactly. So take take the three. I was actually okay with that decision. I was okay with it. Uh, Notre Dame, so I, from the Notre Dame side real quick. So Jack Cohn starts this game, Joey, and – didn't really have much anything early. Notre Dame's offense struggled throughout most of the first quarter. They didn't get on the board for a while. Actually, didn't even score until middle of the second quarter. But ND went ahead, and we were discussing on the preview, okay, is it going to be Jack Cohn, or is it going to be Drew Pine, right? We were having that having that discussion. Uh, it was going to be Jack Cohn and Tyler Buckner, it turns out. Now, Buckner was battling injuries, so we weren't sure how healthy he was. We know the type of quarterback that he is coming out of high school. So Buckner comes in. He has a touchdown run in the second quarter. Then Notre Dame comes back right before halftime, and they're able to get on the board again with a Tyler Buckner touchdown pass uh, to Kyron Williams. So it's 14-10 to 10, Notre Dame. Then Virginia Tech, I've criti- I want to bring this point up because I've criticized Virginia Tech before for sitting on the ball and being too conservative at the end of the half. They were not too conservative here in this game. They got aggressive there right before halftime and drive down the field. They only had 37 seconds left. Or I'm sorry, 32 seconds left, I believe it was. Um, and one, I believe it was one or two timeouts. Um, but they didn't have their full timeouts allotted to them. And in 32 seconds, they marched right up the field. Now, they attempt a 52-yard field goal with John Parker Romo. Now, Romo's been up and down this year, so it's kind of like, choose your own adventure with him kicking. He was very good last night, Joey. And this was the longest field goal that he made in this game. 52 yards uh, right at the buzzer at half. So uh, Tech pulled within one. And then the second half happens, right? So <clears throat> Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, they, they trade possessions early in the early in the half. Uh, Romo kicks a 26-yard field goal in the third quarter, so it's 16 to 14. Then this is where the fun begins, Joey, okay? Kyron got Williams a little has wonky. a 10-yard Yes. So Kyron Williams has a 10-yard touchdown run to make it 21-16 to Notre Dame with under five minutes to play in the third quarter. Virginia Tech comes back. They don't do anything offensively. Burmeister gets hurt. So Burmeister is literally popping hills on the sideline, right? Because as we learned after the game, his arm went numb 
And uh, Joey, we'll get into this a little bit later, but there are rumors flying around on message boards <laughs> about Burmeister's availability moving forward. So wow, that is something to monitor. Yeah, that is something to monitor. We will have an update on the preview later this week, I'm sure. So this is where it gets wonky. Notre Dame scores is 21 to 16 Irish under five minutes to go in the third quarter. Uh, Virginia Tech doesn't do anything offensively, gives it back to Notre Dame. Tyler Buckner throws a pick six to Jermaine Waller with 50 seconds remaining in the third quarter. Waller intercepts it, returns to 26 yards. Lane was jumping, Joey, jumping, right? Hokies have the lead, and the decision is, okay, we're up 22 to 21 now. Let's go for two, which, again, wasn't crazy about it, but I'm thinking, you know, you make it a three-point game, that's fine. I became even less crazy about it when Virginia Tech committed a false start and tried to go for two again from, like, the seven-yard line. Hold up. Hold up. That's not in the rules. You don't have to go for it after a false start or whatever just because you were going to before. Like, kick the extra point. You're eight yards away. You got one play. That, that ended up being pretty that ended up being pretty important. Let me explain why. Virginia Tech does not get the two-point conversion, so it's 22 to 21. Notre Dame gets the ball, doesn't do a whole lot. Virginia Tech gets the ball, doesn't do a whole lot. They're trading possessions until late in the fourth quarter. So Burmeister's got dead arm. We don't know the extent of the actual injury, Joey, but after he popped a bunch of pills on the sidelines, he comes back into the game. Tech is driving down the field, and Burmeister makes something out of nothing. He drops back to throw. He's looking in the secondary. And he says, you know what? No, I'm going to take off. He starts weaving through defend- Notre Dame defenders in route to a 26-yard touchdown run. Wayne, again, is jumping, Joey. Jumping. It's 29-21 Virginia Tech. Actually, at the, at the, at the time, it was 28-21 Virginia Tech. Which brings me to my next point. Why don't you go for two there? You go for two there, you can make it 20. You can, make it, you can go for 28-21. To thirty to twenty one, make it a two possession game. Why don't you go for two there? Uh, they kick yeah. the extra point. I mean, they, they kick an extra point. It's an eight point game. Notre Dame goes down the field. Jack Cohen throws a touchdown pass to Avery Davis, and then hits Kevin Austin on the two point conversion. A really athletic play that Austin made in the end zone uh, to tie the game. Uh, Virginia Tech, and you know they end up getting the ball back. This is now with under two twenty five to play. They get the ball back, driving down the field a little bit. And then Burmeister, they, they run a hitch and go with Trey Turner, and he is running open, running open down the sideline. And Burmeister threw a pretty good deep ball to him that went just through his hands for an incomplete pass. And Virginia Tech was at their own 30-yard line. It's fourth and one, and now what do we do? We got to punt. You got to punt. Because if, if you don't punt there, like, sure, you, can you pick up a yard? I. Yes, most teams can, but we've seen Virginia Tech's short yardage situations this year. It hasn't been good with the play calling or the execution. Right. So Tech punts, Notre Dame goes down and scores. And my whole thing is, look, ultimately, yeah, on the scoreboard, if you just look at the scoreboard purely, Joey, right? You look at the score purely and you say, okay, it is 30 to 21 Virginia Tech, hypothetically, if they had gone for two a little while ago. Well, now it's 29 up and you have to punt. And ultimately, it doesn't matter that they didn't go for two because Notre Dame was going to score you know, twice anyway to make a 32-29. I think it matters a lot because the way I look at it is that if Virginia Tech went for two and got it, then you were up 30-21. to 21. Notre Dame's going to score a touchdown and kick an extra point. It's going to be 30-27 to 27 
right? Or 30 to 28, I guess. And that changes things on the Virginia Tech side on that fourth and one play at the 30. Because now you're like, you know what? We could either give them the game right here or we can go for it, try to get a yard and just ice the clock, right? So that makes that decision later on a lot more intriguing. It makes chasing the two-point conversion after the Waller touchdown in the third quarter a little bit more significant. So there are levels to it. And yes, Notre Dame ends up scoring twice, so it doesn't end up mattering that you know Tech didn't ultimately go for two. It matters from a game script standpoint, though, Joey. It yeah. matters from a situation play-calling standpoint for the rest of the game on both sides. So I think that, you know, if you're going to nitpick a decision, I think that's the one you nitpick. Um, but I think overall, this is a really tough loss. My bigger takeaway here from the Virginia Tech side is, yes, this game could have gone better. Yes, Justin Fuente and his coaching staff have consistently struggled to win close, contested games when the spread is inside a field goal. I believe the number is like he's two two and thirteen in his last fifteen games when the spread is three points or fewer either direction. Ouch. So Tech is not winning close games, and that's that's a kind of a microcosm of what this regime has been. And you know, people want to just say, Oh, fire the coaching staff because of this decision or this decision. I don't think the in-game decision making was as big of a factor in this game as it has been in others this year, namely the West Virginia game. <laughs> and even some of the wins where I've been like, ah, oh, scratch my head, I didn't understand the call. The bigger takeaway for me here, Joey, is Burmeister gets hurt. You have Connor Blumrick, a kid who didn't even play quarterback at AM last year. He's now your backup quarterback. Um, the backup's quarterback situation is a mess. Like depth across the roster is a mess. Like that's on the coaching staff, and that's my bigger, my bigger takeaway from this game. Right. It's like that stuff institutionally came back to haunt you, right? As mm-hmm. we knew it probably throughout the year. And this is one of the games where it's a close game against a good football team, a well-coached football team, and that's when these types of things start to bite you in the ass. Poor recruiting, transfer portal issues, you know, um, yep. defections, defections out of the program. Like, that's where that stuff starts to catch up. So it's been um, it's been a struggle watching his football team. I was inspired by the performance. of the players played their heart out. Burmeister, his stats weren't great, but I, he was playing with one arm. Like his throwing arm is dead, you know, and he's he's popping pills on the sideline, coming back in the game. I mean, it was very performance by Burmeister to have that touchdown run after being as hurt as he was earlier in the second half. It's just a testament to how hard these guys are playing for Fuente. Now, ultimately, all that matters are, are wins and losses. But this team's a little bit different this year, Joey, because they they don't have the quit in them, at least not yet. Right, we haven't seen the quit in this football team. This is a pretty big week, though, coming up, going up against Pittsburgh. Yes, it is. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, by all means, if, from what I can tell, again, I didn't watch this game all that closely, but I mean, Virginia Tech hung in there, and this is a big spot at night at home. Uh, ranked opponent comes in, and I mean, you, you hung with them for a full sixty minutes, and, and that's that's good. That's better than some of what I've seen from Virginia Tech over the last couple of years against lesser opponents, like. So it's it's great to see them perform well in this spot, but like you're saying, you know, like you may not start questioning Fuente and the coaching staff, or or even further questioning them based on this particular game and this particular result. Were there a couple things they could have done better or done differently? Sure, like always, always is. But more of what you're seeing, and you're correct, is like 
you, you don't have to be mad at them because Braxton Burmeister got hurt. You should be mad at them because there isn't a, a plan B. Like, there is no plan B here. And you're in year six, and you've recruited how many quarterbacks, and you've had how many starting quarterbacks transfer out of your program. Like, that, that's been like an right. annual occurrence <laughs> for like four or right. five years now. Um, right. You know, so it's it's stuff like that that is going to, you know, really start to rear its ugly head here as you go down the stretch if the team can't stay healthy that that is very much valid criticism to give of the coaching staff, you know, in, yep. after several years of running the program. I mean, it's year six, right? I mean, yeah. These it's are year your six. And, and I was, well, yeah. And I, I was talking to some Notre Dame people before the game, you know, we're tailgating. And uh, the discussion I was having with them is like, here's the, here's the issue. And like, here's the elephant in the room, right? This is a down year for Notre Dame, mm-hmm. right? And this is a this was a big game for Notre Dame from the standpoint of you know you're going into a road environment and you know it, it's it's an opponent that Notre Dame has had a good deal of success with um, you know when going Brian Kelly going against Fuente the only year that Notre Dame has lost to Fuente was 2016 when ND was four and eight elephant in the room here is that this is year six and this is one of the biggest games of the year for Virginia Tech. And you look at this Notre Dame program, and this is a down year. And they were able to beat you with a team that is probably going to go like eight and four, nine and three, probably more more like nine and three now. Now that I'm looking at this um, with with their schedule, and they're already at five. This is like a nine and three Notre Dame team that's you know fine, but that would have been like best case for Virginia Tech this year is kind of what Notre Dame has become. You know, they're yep. they're very they're very similar teams. Like they. they they both struggle to run the ball. Offensive line's been up and down. Quarterback play's been up and down. And both have very good defenses. They are very similar football teams. You're just running into a situation, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, where you're like, man, this is probably one of our best shots to get this thing right under Fuente. And you're looking at the other side with Notre Dame, Brian Kelly's just like, you know, we're, we're rolling out a graduate graduate transfer as a starter we got a five-star quarterback behind him that we're like working in to get reps like he knows this is a rebuilding year yeah. and that's the elephant in the room like where, where the two programs are right now just looking at this game on the field yeah they're, they're having a tough time in a rebuilding year at five and one and ranked in the top 15 like yeah right right there's there's a notable difference there um mike i don't have a whole lot of anything else on this game we, we do need to keep moving here but um I just think this is an interesting spot to look back on, and I wonder if one day something happens that Justin Fuente and that staff are no longer in Blacksburg. Is this one of those games that you look back on as like that was a missed opportunity? And if you if something goes different there, if you make a couple different decisions, maybe he's still the coach. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, definitely, and we're gonna have to see how the rest of the schedule kind of plays out to really confirm like what was the turning point of the season. I don't think that this loss is going to bury Virginia Tech one way or another in ACC play. Well, well, <laughs> let me backtrack a little bit. Let's see what the injury situation is, right? Because yeah. the other way you can look at this real quick, real quick, the other way you can look at this is Virginia Tech went all out, falls to the wall with Burmeister for a game that ultimately doesn't really matter. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't affect your conference uh, record at all. <laughs> it doesn't, and Virginia Tech's not a playoff team anyway, so like, how much does this game actually matter? Right. It, it matters for optics because Notre Dame's, a, you know, everybody wants to try to beat Notre Dame. Right. It right. matters from an optics standpoint. But like I look at the West Virginia loss on the road. Yes, it was on the road, but West Virginia is a heated rival of Virginia Tech. So non-conference rival on the road against a bitter rival versus Notre Dame, who you see once every couple of years. Like, I, I 
I think that's probably the more damning loss at this point, especially considering how Virginia Tech lost. But anytime you're up by eight with four minutes left, you got to close it out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely, again, a missed opportunity for the Hokies, to be sure. Um, and, and and you definitely have to worry if if Braxton Burmeister at this point is hurt and isn't able to uh, to go back and, you know, play the rest of the season as we expected him to. Man, like, Hokies going to quickly find themselves in a really tough spot here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we'll 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 keep an eye on the injury front and give you an update in the preview. Yeah, that's that's really critical information for really the, the way that a lot of the conference shapes out. So we'll uh, we'll, yep. we'll take a look there. Notre Dame 32, Virginia Tech 29. Mike, let's stay in the state of Virginia. Your Virginia Cavaliers, the Hoos, 34. My Louisville Cardinals, 33. I am angry at the way that this game went down, Mike. As A, as a Louisville fan, but B, as a Louisville over six and a half wins better. I Man, they needed this one. This game was nuts. Um, there were a couple things that happened here. So first off, uh, Virginia starts with the ball. They go eight plays, 85 yards, touchdown. Louisville takes the opening kick, or the, the, the next kickoff. Goes one play, 92 yards, a 92-yard touchdown pass to Tyler Harrell, who is an amazing athlete who's starting to make a habit out of making these really long plays uh, yep. for the Cardinals. Uh, both teams missed field goals at the end of the first half. Uh, Br- uh, Brandon Armstrong had a couple of pretty brutal interceptions in the third quarter, which... Stop me if you've heard this before. Um, he had multiple requisite <laughs> scheduled horrible turnovers in the third quarter. Yes. Louisville, Louisville only comes away with a combined six points off of those two turnovers at short fields. Like the, the ensuing drives for Louisville combined nine plays for 22 yards and two field goals. Um, not ideal, but Louisville still... Not great. Yeah. Louisville was in the process of building a 30-13 to 13 lead with about a minute to go in the third quarter. And that yep. was really kind of where it felt like the game was over, Mike. And then it wasn't. I mean, this is... <laughs> we, we, we talk about Scott Satterfield a lot on this program, Joey. Mm-hmm. And for as big as that win could have been against Wake Forest a week ago, this one stings more. Yeah. yeah this Mike, loss stings more. From there, so you have a 17-point lead going into the fourth quarter. From there, your defense allows 10 plays, 75 yards, touchdown, 8 plays, 73 yards, touchdown. They go 3 and out, and then 12 plays, 75 yards, touchdown, with about 30 seconds left to uh, to take a one-point lead that they eventually won by. Meanwhile, your offense goes 3 and out, 3 and out, 6 plays, field goal, and then finally finishes the game with a, a quick 5-play, five, five 44-yard drive and missed a field goal as time expired that would have given them the win. Um, yeah, you're right. This, this hurts if you're Louisville. I mean, you, you just absolutely blew that lead. You had a three score lead in the fourth quarter and you couldn't hang on. That is not a good look for Scott Satterfield. It's not a good look for Brian Brown, their defensive coordinator. Um, really a pretty brutal loss to have to sit here and deal with if you're a Louisville fan, uh, or, you know, someone within that program. Yeah, it's no, it's definitely tough. Um, I, the way I look at this is, Virginia continues to find ways to win playing one-dimensional football like, and not hiding it. They're unapologetically one-dimensional on offense. Yeah, th- and there is a real sense of self-identity there that <laughs> they just lean into at this point. It's Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the part that's really standing out to me. Um, 
And look, I mean, Armstrong, like you mentioned, a couple of really bad interceptions. But he throws for almost 500 yards and three touchdowns. And it's becoming just, like you, like you mentioned, like you can set your clock and you know, you know when the interceptions are going to happen. But you also can, can check your watch and you see Armstrong making like four or five unbelievable plays at quarterback. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's, becoming, it's becoming a thing. Like, he's very good. And outside of Kenny Pickett, he's probably been one of the best quarterbacks in the conference this year. Um, and Malik Cunningham is, is right up there, too. And I thought Cunningham played well in this game. Hassan Hall ran the ball well. Like, Louisville had their chances. But, you know, when you can't move the ball in the fourth quarter, and credit yet, yeah, you know what? We give, and Joey, we give Virginia's defense a lot of crap on this show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is very well deserved. Virginia's defense came through in the fourth quarter. I mean, let's make no mistake about it. They did. Their defense was awful in the fourth quarter. Um, and we we give them hell, but we got to give them credit here too. And if you're Louisville and you're not able to put really anything together save for that field goal in the fourth quarter, I mean, you deserve to lose when your defense starts breaking down and, and you can't stay on the field on offense. So yeah. this thing flipped a couple different times. I mean, it – you know, a lot of times we're like, oh, a tale of two halves. I mean, this was a tale of the third and fourth quarter. Those were two games in and of themselves, right? I mean, the Louisville scores 20 in the third. Like you mentioned, we're sitting there seeing it 30 to 13. We think it's a wrap. It's done. And then Virginia outscores Louisville by 18 in the fourth quarter and wins the football game. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of credit to UVA, a lot of credit to Bronco, Brian Armstrong, like you mentioned. And I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the – the two wide receiver performances, Rashawn Henry, nine catches for 179 yards. Keaton Thompson, nine catches for 132 yards. Joey, is that good? I, I, You know, if you offered me that or whatever I'm most likely to get from most college teams, sets of receivers in a game, I think I'd take that. Yeah. Yeah, you take it. 18 catches for 311 yards combined. Yeah, that'll, that'll do. That'll do. Yeah. I'd take that on my, I'd take that on my team anytime. That's correct. So. Um, it was passed along by our friend Banana Slug, who's a big Virginia fan. Uh, said without Wicks the entire game and Joey Blunt, uh, it's massive, massive W. Yeah, like you're missing two of your what eight best players, <laughs> like to go in and win that way. That's that's incredible. Um, one of the things I think we need to monitor, Mike, with this Louisville team this this offense has a really weird way of running, like very hot and cold, like. They'll have a couple or three drives in a row where they are, are just like clockwork, just moving it down the field, and and it's you know first down after first down, like they barely even have to convert a third down, and then they'll have like three drives in a row where they combine for like eight yards, and they they go three and out like three in a row or something like this. Like, right? I don't understand why that happens or where that comes from, but that's just it seems to be a trend that at some point during these games, like Louisville's offense will go from, you know, on fire to kind of useless, and then they'll go back to on fire. And I don't – Yeah. It's just strange. Yeah, there's no consistency for four quarters. But yeah. when they're on, it's like, okay, good luck keeping up. Right. But then you know they're going to go into a lull at some point. It's just like, yeah, figure out when that's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know what else to say here. I It's just – this is definitely also a game of missed opportunity for Louisville. Um, as as mentioned, I mean they, you know, you you had the 
the big lead that you blew at the end, but you also had a pair of missed field goals at the end of each half. And then, you know, you also had the ball in, in the red zone or you know, in the green zone, at least late in the second quarter and fumbled yep. and turned it over. You know, you, you had chances here. You just couldn't finish drives. And again, this is one of those things that you're going to look back one day. And, and if, if they're moving on from Scott Satterfield or something, it's like, this is one of those games that that was a huge missed opportunity for the cards. Right. Right. So I, I mean, you got you to gotta figure that I, your fan fan base deserves more at home. They really do. Right. I mean, and, and I, I forgot to mention that with Virginia tech, but it's like the same deal with Louisville. It's like your fan base deserves more out of you in the fourth quarter at home. Exactly. They sure do. Yeah. And doing that in front of your, your home crowd and your, your boosters and all that at Cardinal stadium. Yep. Not the best look. Nope. Not the best, Not look. the best look, Scotty. Yeah. So once again, I have an over six and a half wins ticket on Louisville. And not to be remaining schedule guy, but you got to go four, four and two here on life sport. Boston College at North, NC State, home against Clemson, home against Syracuse, at Duke, home against Kentucky. I'm not going to say that like there's a single one of those games that isn't winnable, but I, I would be a little bit far fetched to expect him to go over 500 in that in that stretch of games. We'll say that. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you're in trouble. I think so too. Thankfully, we're still on pit over seven and a half games, and that seems to be going pretty swimmingly so far. So we'll we'll revisit that later. Yes, yeah, they're <laughs> they're coming to Blacksburg, so yeah, be careful. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, all those games are close. <laughs> yeah, Virginia thirty four, Louisville thirty three. Uh, Mike, let's keep moving. And before we do, we got to tell the people about Section one hundred three. Mm-hmm. Did you wear your Section one hundred three to the uh, Virginia Tech game this weekend? shockingly i did not but it says virginia tech on your shirt it kind of did <laughs> uh i mean Mike, it definitely did just not permanently yeah yeah that uh yeah the solution there did not survive the washing machine we'll say that um that's right mike as the people know section 103.com is the internet's greatest source of georgia tech clothing uh, they have all the official word marks. They use that fancy ATL logo that you see on the helmets and on the field at Georgia Tech. They've got shirts in the actual tech gold. Mike, these things should not be all that hard to find, but they are unless you're on section103.com. So if you're a Georgia Tech fan looking for some of those things to support your team, go there. They've got t-shirts. They've got sweatshirts. They've got hoodies. They've got things for men, women, children, at something for the whole family over at section103.com. Uh, Mike, Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order there. Um, I love my shirts that I've got. I've got three t-shirts already. I think I've got two more in the mail, plus a hoodie, uh, plus the hoodie that my wife has already stolen. She has a shirt as well, like quickly, quickly becoming a Section 103 household over here and uh, could not be happier about it. There, there is a, some really great product there, and we can't thank Stephen enough. Yeah, and with all the Section 103 stuff we're going to get, maybe I am just an honorary Georgia Tech alum. Maybe I can get one of those, like, honorary degrees. We can take, I can take pictures up there with, like, the president or something. Well, certainly, you're, like, there's going to be a bet here in the, a couple of weeks when we have the Tecmo Bowl, and it's probably going to involve some Section 103 wear. We'll, we'll have to see. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> no reason not to have that happen. That's right. That's right. Uh, Mike, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order at section103.com. And get in on the Section 103 magic, by the way, on the Twitters. It seems like it just barely was maybe the difference, made the difference on Saturday in this game against Duke. We'll see. Ne needed magic to beat Duke? Something like that. Huh? 
Shout out to Section103.com. Appreciate their partnership. Mike, as mentioned, Georgia Tech 31, Duke 27. Um, okay, a win's a win. Wins are better than losses. Georgia Tech got lucky as hell to win this game. They they got really lucky here. Um, this they started out hot. Uh, first two possessions they go eight eight you know eighty two yards touchdown seventy seven yards touchdown. They had a fourteen to nothing lead early. Feeling good about yourself. Um, eventually took a seventeen to seven lead going into halftime. And Mike, from there, from that point, this offense did a whole bunch of nothing until deep deep into the fourth quarter. Duke slowly but surely kind of climbs their way back into the game. Uh, they kicked a field goal midway through the fourth quarter to take a 27-24 lead. Georgia Tech then, of course, goes three and out again for the third time in a row. Uh, Duke, <laughs> you know, Georgia Tech gets the ball back with uh, about five minutes left. It goes three and out. Not great. Finally get the ball back with about two minutes left, still down 27-24. And Jeff Sims makes one of the more silly throws I think I've ever seen kind of off his back foot and just casually floats a, a ball like 40 yards down the field. And it falls into Adonica Sanders hands as he's being pass interfered with um, yeah. really pretty incredible. And they, so they salvaged the win. So that's, that's good, but buddy, it was way harder than it had to be in this game. I'm going to steal a phrase from friend of the show, Nate Mink. Syracuse.com. Oh boy. I steal a phrase here, Joey. Shout out to Nate. Uh, shout, shout out, Nate. Nate, hope you're doing well. I haven't talked to you in about a month and a half. Hope you're doing well. Uh, to steal a phrase from Nate, like, yes, Georgia Tech was lucky to win this game, but, like, Duke had permission to win this game, like, <laughs> multiple times in the fourth quarter, right? Like, I mean, they did, yes. Multiple times. They had permission. They had permission. I mean, some credit to Georgia Tech's defense, to be sure, here. Like, they were on the field a lot in this game. Duke finishes with over 35 minutes of possession. And as I mentioned, I mean, there's a point there from midway through the second quarter to late in the fourth quarter that Tech's offense was doing nothing to stay on the field, sustain drives, give that defense some rest. So, I mean, uh, it, was, it was a really gutty effort from Georgia Tech's defense to kind of keep this game in range, I think. Um I, I will say this about Duke too, Mike. Like, I still believe that Duke is one of the two or three worst teams in the conference, but I, I don't think that they're quite the absolute trash can that we thought they were going to be coming into the year. Like, this is like still kind of a functional football team, I think, even though they did just get blown out by 31 points by a North Carolina team that <laughs> who knows what they are at this point. Uh, depends on the week. It like, really most does. of these teams in the conference. I will say this about Duke, like, even though they lose this game. Duke is becoming one of the more consistent teams in the ACC, though, right? Like, week to week, we pretty much know what we're getting. Like, like if they don't... They're like a discount Wake Forest. Well, I mean, mean, of course, Wake Forest. But, I mean, this is week to week, though, as far as, like, middle-of-the-road ACC teams go. Because coming into the year, I thought Duke would be pretty bad, and they still might be. But they got an identity, we talked about this with Syracuse, you know, a little bit, and we'll get into Syracuse. But we talked about this with Syracuse. It's like they are kind of like slowly finding an identity. And Duke, I think, kind of very similar to Syracuse, really bad 2020, but like finding an identity. Gunnar Holmberg, for the most part, has been taking care of the football. They have a really good running back in Mateo Durant. So it really comes down to whether or not defensively they're going to come up with enough stops. 
at some point you just got to credit Georgia Tech for cutting this thing out on the road. And, and definitely, I mean, they, they deserve credit. At least that defense does. Um, I, I was – weather played a little bit of a, of a role here. I mean, there was some rain that happened kind of throughout this game. But I'm still, like, I'm very concerned at this point about the game planning going on on offense. Like, there, there's injuries and there's context here. But the bottom line, Mike, is this offensive line is not very good right now. They cannot run block to save their lives. Point case in point, Jameer Gibbs finishes this game with 14 carries for 40 yards. Yeah, like, not great. Like, and you can tell, like, he still kind of got it because he finishes with three catches for 82 yards. Like, if you can get him in space, he's great. It's just that whatever run blocking is happening in front of him and everyone else is not getting the job done. And yet they still continue to run the ball heavily over overthrowing it. Like it just it doesn't make sense. And yeah, I mean, Jeff Sims had had a couple of pretty bad interceptions today. You know, there was a couple of developmental moments, we'll call them, where staring down receivers and and like really telegraphing what he was going to do. He also finished with 12 completions for 297 yards and three scores. Like there's something there. Maybe focus on that part, you know, and, and stop letting everyone key in on the on the run game here. Um, if you're if you're Dave Patno, the offensive coordinator. Right. Um, the other thing I was going to bring up in the in the vein of Georgia Tech got lucky here. Duke missed multiple very makeable field goals. Charlie Ham had a, yep. a 42 yarder and a 31 yarder, I believe, that he missed. Both very makeable. Not that they were like blocked or tipped or anything. Just yanked them basically. And I mean, if he doesn't miss either of those field goals, Tech loses the game. Like that's how close right. you were to losing this, and just. So just just frustrating. Um, I would also we, we we have to bring up the fact too that Mateo Durant finishes this game with forty three carries for one hundred and fifty two yards yeah. and a touchdown. Those forty three carries are a new school record. Um, he <laughs> he was pretty impressive. He was really good today. Just run him into the ground. I I guess so. I guess so. But at the same time, Gunnar Holmberg twenty two of twenty nine for two ninety two two touchdowns and one pick like. The pick was at the very, very end of the game that you know kind of sealed it for Georgia Tech. But I mean, you throw twenty nine passes and complete twenty two of them. Like I don't know what Georgia Tech secondary is doing out there. This isn't like some like highly talented, dangerous Duke receiving core. I don't know what's going on with this. Yeah. This Georgia Tech team is really frustrating me re- recently, and I- I'm glad that they won. I-, I I just I feel like at this point you should have been able to do a little bit more than this. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, I get it. I, I will say that, you know, if you look at the defense as a whole for Georgia Tech, I mean, I think what's most concerning is the fact that Holmberg threw for almost 300 yards. Like, that's more concerning to me than Mateo Durant getting his, you know, running the football. Right. The, the bigger concern is that you're making Gunnar Holmberg look pretty good, which, and, I, and I, again, Holmberg's been good for Duke this year, so I want to sit here and say that, like, he doesn't deserve – you know, respect or praise. I mean, it's no Dennis Grossell. You know? <laughs> no, but uh, Holmberg's been pretty good. But again, I thought Georgia Tech did their part in making him look good at times too. Yeah. And when you got guys running yeah. open all over the secondary, and there are some questions for sure. There are some questions about Georgia Tech's defense, but, but you know, way to get the win. And if this is going to be a clunker for Georgia Tech in conference play, let it be let it be the clunker, I guess, as we kind of dive a bit a bit deeper into ACC play moving forward. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I thought Pittsburgh was the clunker last week, but 
it's good to win one too, you know? It is nice. It is nice. Yeah, Georgia Tech currently on this roller coaster where they have alternated wins and losses all year. Um, they've gone loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. So I don't I don't see that continuing, but who, who's to say? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, need need to spend the bye week getting healthy a little bit. You know, our, our friend Kelly Quinlan has reported a couple things in terms of the the volume of injuries going on with with especially with the offensive line and such. Which it's to the point that it makes me start like wondering, like, what on earth do you do to these guys in practice? Because it's not like we're seeing like these catastrophic, you know, bad looking injuries in games. It's like guys that like, haven't even played in a game are in walking boots and stuff. And it's like, what are you doing yeah. Monday through Thursday that is like completely ravaging your depth? Like, I don't, I don't know. Again, a win's a win. It's better than a loss. I like it. But this just, uh, this was frustrating. Like, this, this shouldn't have been this hard or this stressful. And frankly, Duke probably should have won this game with the way that it played out. Um, and that just, that doesn't sit great with me. I get it. Yeah, I get it. A lot of variability week to week, as we know. Yeah, Duke goes nine for twenty-one on third downs, two for three on fourth downs. So of twenty-one third downs, they converted. You know, they got a first down eleven of those times. Um, so not not ideal. Like uh, yep. I think I think that's all I got. Usually this is where I uh, I'll say I'm done, and then like an hour after we're done recording, it's like oh I didn't mention this or that or the other thing. Yeah, um, but <laughs> yeah, it's fair. It's yeah, fair. but for now I think this is all I got. Go check out my column. Theoretically, maybe later this week on FromTheRumbleSeat.com if you want to hear more of my thoughts here. Uh, Georgia Tech 31, Duke 27. Mike, let's keep moving. Florida State 35, North Carolina 25. What on earth was this? What are we doing in Chapel Hill right now, Mike? What in the hell are we doing, North Carolina? What are we doing? Goodness gracious. What are we doing? I will say, Joey, the, the one consistent is the fact that North Carolina only has one functioning wide receiver, and his name is Josh Downs. Is it that only one of the receivers is any good, or is it that Sam Howell will only look at one of the receivers? Is Sam Howell good? I, I mean, I, I think so. I thought so. But this season, like, I feel like there's I feel like there's been, like, some regression. Or, like, there was some stuff I had seen from him the last two years that I'm not seeing from him this year. It's very confusing to me. And maybe it is just like the lack of the run game that they have had the last couple of years. Maybe that's what's causing yep. all this. But I don't know. This is not it's it's not going as well as I nearly you know, nearly as well as I thought it would. No Newsom, no Deami Brown, no Bo Corrales. I mean Bo's been out, not yeah, healthy. He's been banged up. Uh, Ty Chandler is not who they said he was. <laughs> The no. offensive line is about what I expected them to be. Again, I got to beat this damn drum because I somebody's got to do it, Joey. I tried to warn y'all about the offensive line with Carolina. I tried to warn y'all. Like it's not just because you have five guys coming back doesn't mean your offensive line's good. I just want to get that get that out there again for the people. I, I'm not offended. We'll get to the "I told you so" part about Miami later, and then we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll do yeah. that. Yes. Uh, I'm more than happy to to fall on my own grenade there. That's <laughs> one of the dumber things I've done in the history of this podcast is pick Miami to win the division. <laughs> it, you should kind of know better than that. Uh, I think what I'm more disappointed in in North Carolina in this game isn't the fact that their offense is just kind of kind of sputtering. And 
it, the stats don't indicate it necessarily, but the way I look at this is Carolina's offense is just wholly incomplete. I mean, they're too reliant on Sam Howell. And I'm not talking about just in the passing game, in the running game too. I mean, this is at least the second or third time this year through six games that Sam Howell has been the leading rusher for Carolina. That's not and good. It's not good because Howell, yes, he, he can be mobile. He is very athletic. He's fast enough. But when he's like doubling as like your primary source of rushing yards, that's a problem. That's either because, A, he's running for his life because your offensive line can't block, or B, because your offensive line simply can't run block for DJ Jones or Ty Chandler, which has been the case as well. So kind of a mess, but I think what's even more concerning is that Jordan Travis started this game, played played the entirety of the game for Florida State, and I like Jordan Travis, but he's very, to put it nicely, he's very inconsistent as a passer. He's a nice young man. He's a nice young man. He's very polite and comes from a family. But he goes 11 of 13 in this football game for 145 yards and three touchdowns. Yes, Carolina, you didn't let him pop off for a million yards, but you only forced him to throw two incompletions, a guy who can barely barely hit targets that are stationary. And you let him go 11 of 13 in this football game? Come on. And then on top of that, you let him rush for 121 yards and two touchdowns as well. Like, you let Jordan Travis beat you at home. At home. It's not it's good. It's inexcusable. Excusable. I mean, you, you know what Florida State did here, right, Mike? Th- th- this was the Georgia Tech game plan. They they did exactly what Georgia Tech did in North Carolina there two, three weeks ago. They just absolutely lined up and ran it down their throat. Yep. And, and Carolina couldn't stop it. And it, I mean, just, and it, it helped having the mobile quarterback there, you know, where you've got more than just a running back and you've got the, the quarterback is able to get involved in the run game. But just, I mean, it's, just, it's crazy to look at this, Mike, that Florida State goes three and out of their first drive. And then their next six possessions, touchdown, 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 punt, touchdown, touchdown. Like, that's efficient. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say. Man. Well, let me ask you this, Mike. I mean, if, if this keeps up, if this keeps up in, Nor- in, in Chapel Hill, like, at least Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator for North Carolina, is getting fired, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, they're not firing Mac, so it's going to have to be a coordinator thing. And I have always been, I I mean, I've been thinking similar to you that if there's going to be one coordinator to go first, it's probably Jay Bateman. Yeah. Although I feel like at times what we've seen from some of this offense this year, we might need to be talking a little bit about Phil Longo too, because. Well, I think he's almost more to blame for this season so far than Bateman is. Yeah. But I think Bateman's going to be the scapegoat because we've had the discussions about, you know, Bateman was used to an army rushing offense, and now you're going into like a, a full-on aerial attack. I mean, it's not air raid for Carolina. They have, a, you know, they, they build their entire offense around the run. But you're running hurry-up spread, no huddle, and you're trying to score as quickly as possible. And now he's got a defense that is not necessarily schematically used to doing that or being put in that scenario. We've talked about that on this podcast before. So I think he's going to be the one who's a scapegoat. But I think if you're going to pin more blame on one coordinator over the other, I think this year in particular, it's got to be Phil Longo. The offense has been a major disappointment for Carolina. And the defense, while they were okay last year, and I thought that they would be better this year, and they, they clearly haven't been, it's not like it's not like Carolina realistically was going to be like a top 20 defense this year. You know, I mean, right. they had talent, but 
you know, some people thought that, I guess I, you and I didn't, I mean, we thought the defense would be better, but we said on this podcast like, to say that they're going to go from like uh, a defense in the, in the fifties and a lot of statistical categories to a top 20 unit is a lot to ask. Yeah. It's a lot to ask. So anyway, they got a lot to unpack, but I think they're at the very least, it's going to be a coordinator. I think going to have to be, I think at least one of them. Yeah. Well, and, and so like to go on with the, the, the train of thought that something's wrong with Sam Howell. I will say this. I, I a couple of weeks ago after the Georgia Tech game, I, I saw on YouTube a film breakdown that someone did of a couple of the plays from that game. And and it was very clear that there were multiple occasions where there were guys running open for North Carolina, you know, in Georgia Tech secondary that should have been yeah. getting the ball. And instead Howell was focused on throwing it to Josh Downs, who was not one of those guys. Right. And that's the kind of thing that makes me think like Phil Longo could be dialing up some pretty good stuff here. And it might just be that Howell is, you know, so obsessed with downs over everyone else here. I, I don't know something's broken here with North Carolina's offense that I did not expect. I, I think we could see it being, you know, starting to impact Sam Howell's like draft stock. Like if, yep. if you're not making good decisions back there and, and paying attention to, you know, the footwork and, and like, getting rid of the ball at the right time. And like a lot of these things, like, yeah, it's great. You have a rocket arm. It's great. You can run and, and be mobile and like these things, but that's not good enough. Like you, right. you gotta not, you know, so, so I don't know, by the way, Mike, hell of a win for Florida state. Um, yes, they needed yes. this badly, yes. badly. Yeah. Yeah. I should probably give them a little bit more credit than, I mean, I, I talked about Jordan Travis and kind of made fun of him a little bit, but he was awesome. Like really, really good in this football game. Uh, I, I questioned Carolina's ability to defend him, but that's not to say they didn't play well. Cause he did. He absolutely did. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he had five touchdowns by himself in this football game. Uh, we'll come back to talking about him here in a bit when we do awards, but he was outstanding. And, you know, Florida State to go on the road and win this game against Carolina, it doesn't matter what your thought is on Carolina right now. Florida State absolutely had to have this game, and they were a pretty big underdog here. And the fact they were able to not only go on the road and cover, but win this thing outright by a couple touchdowns is it's a huge win for Norvell. Maybe maybe his, his biggest, I would say his biggest at Florida State so far, but the Carolina win last year was actually bigger than this one. I mean, I, I would say if you'd flip the score and Carolina had won 35-25, like I wouldn't have ever thought twice about it. I, I, I didn't feel I like agree. this is like a must-have for Florida State, but it is huge realizing what they have coming up to get another win you know, on the board and, and a good performance. Like it's, it's viable to think that Florida State is building a little bit of something here. So that's – We're not doing this again, are we? Are we doing this again? <laughs> no, no, no. Not, not – I mean, not entirely, but maybe a little bit. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we <laughs> – it's a we're 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 pro Florida State again, you know. I like how I said we're not we are not a Florida State podcast anymore, and then I proceeded to take the money line against Louisville. Is and is there an intervention sound that I can get for the soundboard? Like, oh God, or just like yeah. a siren uh, or something of like Joey's doing it again. Yeah. He's, he's in on Florida yeah. State. Uh, we can we can cook something up for sure. We can cook something up. Uh, <laughs> little storyline here coming up for you in two weeks. Florida State's coming to a bye week here. Then they have a home game against UMass and former offensive coordinator Walt Bell. Hmm. Interesting. Don't lose that game, Florida State. <laughs> really, they, really don't well, lose to UMass. 
seriously, like losing to UMass in and of itself is pretty bad, but losing to Walt Bell too would make it all that much more worse. Just, yeah, not ideal. Not ideal. Uh, two more notes on this, Mike, that I found kind of interesting. I don't think we've mentioned yet. North Carolina finishes this game with 12 penalties for 110 yards. Yep. That's not a great feeling in front of your home crowd and all it's that. It's not. So that's not good. Uh, the other thing that's even more not good, <laughs> I, I can't believe this is true. To this day, Mike, Mac Brown is over against Florida State. He has still never beaten the Knolls. Never. Those helmets are scary. Mike. Never beat the Seminoles. Those helmets are scary. That's all I can think. Florida State 35, North Carolina 25. Goodness gracious, Carolina. Uh, last ACC game, Mike, and just it tells you what a, a bonkers week this was kind of across the conference, I think, to tell you that our, our last game on the rundown here is number 19, Wake Forest 40, Syracuse 37 in overtime. Um, an overtime game but with an unbeaten ranked opponent. Like, how did this make the last game uh, of the rundown? I don't know, but goodness. Um, absolute barn burner of a game here. Um, Syracuse's defense start there with credit for them. Uh, Wake Forest finishes this game with 37 carries for 96 yards. That is an impressive effort for a Syracuse defense that I think is actually slowly, maybe kind of starting to gel just a little bit. Um, they, they definitely seem to play better in the carrier dome. Um, but just what an effort from Syracuse, um, Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker combined for 55 carries and 331 yards. That's big numbers for quick math, but um, just unbelievable rushing effort here for Syracuse. They played a hell of a game. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a crushing loss, but just an unbelievable performance for the Orange here in this game. Um, nearly knocking off the undefeated Steeman Deeks and uh, just barely coming up short there in overtime. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I come away from this game. It's like good for Wake Forest for getting to 6-0, like way to survive a weird game at the Carrier Dome. The line didn't make any sense. A lot of people were on Syracuse. I didn't understand it, but whatever. It, it worked out where Syracuse did cover the six points that Wake Forest was favored by. So that was a little bit weird in and of itself, but I can't help but coming away from this game, you know, going back and, and re-watching it, Joey, and I'm just kind of astounded here recently by Syracuse in a lot of ways and like kind of like what they're building now are they going to be very good I mean no and we we talked about their schedule I mean there's a good chance they don't win a game in November um there's a good chance that starting a couple weeks they don't win a game the rest of the season so like that's all kind of on the table for Syracuse at this point so like get your wins while you can Mm -hmm. and for them to not be able to pull this out in overtime at home like this is a really big opportunity it's missed for the no babers with that being said I think that Babers has been doing enough and we'll see, you know, we'll see at the end of the year, but I think Babers has shown me enough with that particular program where you may not need to fire. Yeah. this And they got more of an identity. We're talking about this with Duke. I reference it like Syracuse, you know what their identity is now, you know, like defensively it's, it's going to be, it's going to be hit or miss in a lot of ways. And you mentioned the, the, rushing defense in this football game on Saturday. Really impressive performance. Um, being able to hold that Wake Forest rushing attack down to under 100 yards. But, you know, we also saw kind of the limitations with the secondary, and we saw Sam Hartman take advantage of 
you know, some holes in the back end of the Syracuse defense. But Syracuse is trying to just keep everything in front of them defensively and then offensively just control the clock with the running game. You know, Garrett Schrader is not the best passer of the football. Mm-mm. I think we can acknowledge that. But in the last two weeks, he's been okay throwing the football. Now, it's not like a high-ceiling passing attack with Garrett Schrader. It's never going to be. But he's been taking care of the football. He's been completing a higher percentage of his passes the last couple of weeks. So that's encouraging. And then running the ball, we know that Schrader adds an element with his legs that Tommy DeVito could not, right, or didn't consistently enough. I think DeVito's a fine athlete, but Schrader gives them a little bit more in the running game which I think they need, right? And Sean Tucker has been the only consistent guy for Syracuse this year. I mean, he had another 153 yards and two scores on Saturday. He's been really good running the ball. And Schrader, now that he's been inserted as the starter on on a full-time basis, he's now starting to give them a little bit of something in the running game too. And they're missing that passing element that they had with Eric Dungy. But this offense is probably the closest I've seen kind of to that, at least from an identity standpoint. You have a quarterback who you're going to run, not afraid to take some chances down the field. You're not going to complete a high percentage of them like you would with Dungy. You're not going to be making plays all over the field in the passing game. But you're running the quarter. You've got a quarterback now who's a willing and able runner. He's athletic. He can throw it around. You know, he can throw it around a little bit, take some chances. Like this is more of an Eric Dungy Syracuse offense mm-hmm. with a lower ceiling mm-hmm. passing game. So that's the offense that they want to run there at Cuse. It didn't work with DeVito. You know, once, once Dungey graduated, it didn't work with DeVito. And now they got a guy in Garrett Schrader who is, is not Eric Dungey, at least not stage Eric Dungey, but he's providing them with a little bit of something there. And I think we got to give Syracuse some credit for keeping this close. Now, Wake Forest, good to be 6-0, and right? Good to be 6-0. and Congrats on bowl eligibility. Wake Forest will be going to a bowl game, as if there was any doubt. But we're going to be learning a lot about Wake Forest coming out of this bye week because they have a tough game on the road at Army. And then they have a stretch of games here where, sure, Duke is not very good, but Duke's got an identity similar to Syracuse. You get that at home, at least. North Carolina on the road. UNC's a very week-to-week team. Should Wake Forest beat North Carolina on the road? If, if you told me what the spread would be on this game tomorrow, would Wake Forest be favored? I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure. I, I think they should be, but I'm not sure if they would be. And then home against NC State and then at, at, at Clemson at Boston College. And I turned into schedule guy there. But the reason why I bring it up is because the back half of October in, into mid-November, that's a really crucial three-game stretch with Duke, UNC, and NC State because these are in-state games, Joey, in-state rivalry games. And I think there's variability there. There's opportunity for Wake Forest to lose a game or two in that stretch. So pick up the wins while you can and try to make sure coming out of this bye week, you're all set for this non-conference game that Army has your full attention because Army could absolutely beat Wake Forest with the way they're playing. So yeah, just keep in mind, it's, it, it's good to be 6-0. you got to credit Wake Forest, but this I, I do have some concerns. I mean, they're pl- they've played – you know, two games past couple of weeks where they've been decided by three points each. Yeah. So this isn't this isn't like a dominant Wake Forest performance right now. I'm a little bit concerned about the defense. Coin's been coming up heads so far. I mean, that's that's good. Six times. I, I will say there there was something there was something a little concerning to me about Wake Forest's offense in this game, and this is a good time to remind everybody like th- there's a reason that fo- we call football a zero sum game like. 
if my offense does well, that means your defense looks bad. You know, if your defense does well, my offense looked bad. Wake Forest starts the first half and the second half of this game with offensive possessions that got inside of Syracuse's 10 yard line and both ended in field goals. Like that's, that's not a great job of finishing drives. Um, just not a good time, not a good point on the field for your offense to kind of go cold and get stood up. So credit to Syracuse's defense in those cases, but also like, you know, let's keep an eye on Wake and see if they can actually finish those drives here in coming weeks. Um, kind of an, another thing I'll point out here with Syracuse, this is going to feel like a little bit of a missed, missed opportunity kind of a game. Um, Syracuse took a 27-26 lead uh, late in the third quarter. They had a one-point lead from there. It was six plays punt, six plays missed field goal, three plays fumble. And at that point, they were down 34-27. Like, yep. if you had gotten anything on those drives and then had that touchdown drive with about 20 seconds left to tie the game, yep. I mean, you would have been winning the game. So, you know, you, you had a chance there. You had your shot. Um, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I realize Wake Forest is undefeated. They're 6-0. and Um and all that, but like they've won back-to-back three-point games. Like they're not blowing teams out and uh, we'll, we'll see how long they can keep that up against, you know, still some of the tougher, more talented teams on their schedule to come. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're going to lose one, lose army. I guess so. It's not going to help the playoff resume, but Hey, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I told you I'm, I'm here for, undefeated Wake Forest going to you know the semifinal and beating an Alabama team that couldn't beat Zach Calzada so you think they're beating Sam Hartman <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm mostly kidding I'm knows? mostly kidding yeah <laughs> mostly kidding who knows um yeah I mean speaking of Sam Hartman not the worst day in terms of the stat line at least on on the passing line rushing line a little tougher um you know, not yeah, not ideal. Sure. So, but again, Wake Forest just had a, a really tough time rushing the ball at all in this game. Um, I mean, they, they, he was only sacked twice, but finishes with nine carries for eight yards. Like, it's kind of rough. So, um, good win for Wake Forest. Um, really close call for Syracuse. I think I'm with you, Mike. That we're seeing some growth here from Syracuse that we hadn't seen in the last couple of years. And it's a good sign, and it makes me think that a, a program like Syracuse and kind of with their standing and their financial backing and, like, all this stuff is, like, if you see some growth like this, it, it kind of makes you much more willing to back off of the whole fire the coach train. So we'll see if Syracuse can keep the momentum up. Um, they have this little Clemson coming to town next weekend. Um, little old Clemson. Uh, little old Clemson. Uh, it's a, I believe it's a Friday night in the Carrier Dome, which never goes poorly for Clemson. Um, no, not not once. Not recently. even once. Not, not even once. not even once in the last couple years. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's been literally years since that went poorly for Clemson. Um, yes, less than half a decade. But, but hey, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say it's been within the confines of this podcast, though. That is correct. That is correct. So we'll talked about it, and we got receipts to prove it. Uh, yeah, I was there. I remember. Um, yeah. yeah, Syracuse winless in conference play. We'll see if that keeps up through Friday evening. I am curious to know what that spread is going to be. That'll be kind of fun to watch. It will be. 
It will be. Maybe maybe get in on the early line, although I, the only early line game I bet this past weekend was Alabama. So Yeah. Yeah, you talked me into that one. I wish you hadn't, frankly. <laughs> I have, on paper, it seemed fine. I don't know. Bama did not cover 17.5, decidedly. Um, didn't get even all that close. <laughs> decidedly is right. Yeah. They didn't cover zero. They, they were favorites by 17.5. If they were 17.5 yeah. point underdog, they had that covered. So be specific oh, that's here. True. That's, that's very true. Very true. Uh, Wake Forest 40, Syracuse 37 in overtime. Uh, Mike. That's all I got on ACC games, except, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, well, <laughs> the universe tempted fate and made Bowling Green a 14-and-a-half-point favorite against Akron. Mike, final score, Akron 35, the Bowling Green Falcons 20 points. <laughs> they are no longer undefeated against the spread. No, no, not close. Oh. Nice, Bowling Green, good stuff. I love it. Let's get that Falcon cry in there one more time. I have in uh, in our slide, notes sheet here in. in big letters, ouch. I mean, I didn't lock it up this week at least, right? Uh, I think you might have. Or did we? I need to go back did and we? look. Hold on. Uh, this I might podcasting. Uh, Let's see. I just got to know. And... No, you did not lock them up this week. Lucky okay, you. thank God. Thank God. I was going to say, well, at least I didn't lock it up. And then I was going to have you say, well, you did, except you did lock it up. So Big Sorry. yikes. Yeah. So uh, shout out to Scott Leffler and the Falcons. The car. Good stuff. Mike, you want to give out some awards? Let's give out some awards. Let's do it. Let's do it. The Go ACC moment of the week might go to this podcast for not having one. Um... I, I'm struggling to think of a moment. Is there is there one that comes to your mind, Mike? Uh, not particularly, no. I'm sure uh, there was something. How about you guys tweet us a Go ACC moment of the week? We can use an assist this week. Yeah, we need uh, we need inputs here. Uh, it, yeah. it, it was an eventful week, but again, not the best for uh, individual moments from these individuals. So if you have a yep. recommended Go ACC moment of the week, tweet us at BC Podcast ACC. We will, uh, we'll probably just retweet basically whatever you tweet at us, as long as it's not like offensive. Yeah, well, I mean, even if it is, we might talk about it. Also, let's discuss it on the pre- We'll just discuss it on the pre- There you go. Yeah, we'll bring it back. So, hey, go ACC to us for not, not being prepared here. Uh, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial, you tried award. The Louisville Cardinals, you tried to hang on to a lead, and it did not go all that great. You lost the game outright after a three-score lead in the fourth quarter. So, Like I said, not a tail of two halves, tail of two quarters. Big yikes. Uh, yeah, you tried Louisville. You tried. Wish you had. Uh, wish wish had gone better. But hey, who's to say? Honorable mention goes to Virginia Tech for their ninety-seven percent win probability from ESPN's FPI uh, when they went up by eight with four minutes to go. Oh no! Oh, user error. <laughs> user. User error is right. Uh, Mike, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award. It might be time to give this to Jameer Gibbs again. I mean, I think we, I think we give it to. Uh, yeah, I think this is the week we give it to Jameer Gibbs. And it's not his again. fault. Like, bad. fourteen carries for forty yards. Like that sounds bad. <laughs> when you're getting like negative one line yards per rush, like, what are you gonna do? So, I, I mean, maybe, maybe that's really in, in spirit giving it to the Georgia Tech offensive line. But hey, 
whatever you gotta do. Yeah, whatever you gotta do is right. Um, yeah, I, I think we just rock with Jameer Gibbs. All right. Well, to you, Jameer Gibbs. Kobe. Kobe. Mike, that's all I got for awards. Uh, the ACC Player of the Week. I think you had a couple ideas here. <laughs> that's all I have for awards, but hold on. You yeah. got a couple more. Now we'll give fake awards. <laughs> the positive stuff. Positive stuff. Uh, got to be Garrett Schrader. Got to be Garrett Schrader. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, too, George Travis, another strong candidate, though. Mm-hmm. His five mm-hmm. touchdowns for Florida State. Uh, three through the air, two on the ground. But, yeah, I mean, Garrett Schrader in a losing effort, I think you were going to say. Well, and shout-out to Rayshon Henry and Keaton Thompson from Virginia as well. 18 yeah. catches for oh, 311 yeah. yards combined. I mean, they yep. they were monsters all day. They were really good. Really good. So, credit to them. Uh, Mike, team of the week. I mean, it's got to be Florida State, right? I think it's either Florida State or maybe Virginia. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, really good wins for both of those teams. <laughs> well, I know who I'd rather give it to. <laughs> I've still got a uh, we got we've got a little uh, sound bite from our preview episode that's going to get clipped and get brought in here. No, it's not. No, it's not. Actually, it might, it might be though. I don't even have to edit. Also, it. <laughs> honorary mention for team of the week, Akron. Yeah, I, I mean, cover the spread by what, like twenty eight points there. Go zips, baby. Go zips. Yeah. Zips. <sighs> zips. Or, you know, Falcons. My Falcons got the win in London today. Shocking. I, I noticed that. I, I was going to actually bring that up. I was going to say, does Bowling Green or the Atlanta Falcons give you more hope? <laughs> I mean, I've seen improvement from Bowling Green this year, not from the Falcons. So, <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons, well, I mean, anyways. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons improved by taking step one and firing Dan Quinn. So. <laughs> That was a uh, yeah. That was that was progress right there for sure. The, the first step, the first step is admitting you have a problem. Right? That's correct. <laughs> hey, what what bad? You're listening. Yeah. First, first steps admitting you have a problem. At me next time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mike, that's all I got for week six. Anything else you want to work on getting out of here? Let's work on getting out of here. Uh, week seven. There's going to be some intrigue on this schedule. And yeah. we talked about Clemson Syracuse, Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Joey. I uh, will we'll fully disclose this on the preview, but that game could be really interesting offensively for Virginia Tech. On multiple so, levels, yeah. It always is with Brad Cornelson as your coordinator, but in more ways than one this time. Um, and, and Mike, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that we we do have the ACC Coastal Championship game next weekend between your Miami Hurricanes and my North Carolina Tar Heels. Who's going to regret that pick more, you or me, by the end of the year? <laughs> I think the answer I think the answer is me. But then Carolina goes out and loses to Florida State, who you know we thought might be in a in another coaching change situation by season's end. It was getting that bad, and then Florida State just goes out, wins that game on the field. And now I'm not so sure that my Miami pick's any worse than your Carolina pick. We'll see. I, I think the early line on that was Carolina minus six. And I'm just looking at that like, uh, I don't I don't know. I want anything to do with that game from an actual betting perspective. Like, uh-uh. 
No, no, no. That I could go in any so. direction. We'll, yeah, I'll think about it a little bit more for the next day or two. We'll get into it on the preview, but I think I'm right there with you there. Goodness. Anyways, all to say, the Week 7 preview will be very interesting, so please keep it tuned here, and uh, and we'll, we'll keep your podcast feed updated. Uh, but yes. Mike, we are going to get out of here for now. We're going to come back and preview those games. In the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SOS, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Once again, send us your uh, your Go ACC Moment of the Week candidates that uh, that we just completely missed out on this weekend. That we really need those uh, for, for us as well. Um, Mike, you can find the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, basically anywhere they can find podcasts. And they can send us emails with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Mike, where can they find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find all of your podcasts there. Also, check out Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. And can somebody please give us a rating and a review? It's been like a please. year. Please, I, we need. We've gotten ratings, and they've been good. We, so again, thank you, five stars. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Can we get an actual review? Somebody write us a review, please. It takes like thirty seconds, and it would be great. And we haven't had one in like nine months. Seriously, we need one. If it's funny, we'll probably even read it on the show. So make it funny. I mean, if can we have we can have a uh, we can have a review off. We could have a review off. Best review, funniest review. That's hopefully like a five-star review, but funniest review gets read on the show. I'm good with that plan. Yeah. Yeah. Good with that. And, um, you know, well, I don't want to promise anything from our sponsors, but you know, maybe we can get the sponsors involved with that somehow. There you go. There you go. We'll see. Wheels are turning. We'll have to, we'll have to first ask the sponsors and then we'll uh, make promises. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Step one is asking the people who pay us. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, We'll see. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? We're good. <laughs> Before we make any more false promises. Uh, look, we promised we knew who was going to win the Coastal Division. <laughs> and we were, we were yeah. wrong. So. Yeah. I mean, we picked, we picked two of the favorites. So what are we going to do? This show is about nothing if not false promises. So there you go. All right, Mike. We're going to get out of here. Uh, let's come back and preview some games here later this week. How's it sound? Sounds good to me. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Have a great week. We'll talk to you then. And until then, go ACC.